You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. This is Ashley Adams. We have an excellent show. Two guests. First, we're going to talk with Vin Narayanan. He is the managing editor and a writer for Casino City, an online gambling site. He is an expert on gambling legislation, and he's going to talk to us about intrastate Internet gambling. And then we're going to talk to the very well-known professional poker player, Hoyt Corkins, whom I met at a media celebrity tournament at Foxwoods. He agreed to come on. Uh, very, very, very nice guy, and I think you'll enjoy having a con- I'll have a- I'll enjoy having a conversation with him. And of course, we'll then have our mailbag segment. So stay tuned. We'll be back after a break. The big deal at Seneca Gaming and Entertainment. Live action poker. Endless chances to win. Guaranteed prize pools. Tournaments. Daily events. A bad beat jackpot. Omaha stud and everyone's favorite Texas Hold'em. And thousands of dollars in guaranteed tournament action. Now that's a big deal. Exciting Vegas-style poker. Just off exit 20 on I-86 in Salamanca, New York. Across from McDonald's. Online at SenecaPoker.com. Seneca Gaming and Entertainment. Your new destination for a better game. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards hotline. Available 24 hours a day. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you consent to having your message played on the air. Great moments in history. In 481 BC, the defeat of the Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. As long as Xerxes doesn't find the secret path to the hot gates, where is it, boy? Xerxes has found the secret door path to the hot gates. Ah, shit! In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Check-raising stupid tourists and taking huge pots off them. Yeah? Stacks and towers of checks I can't even see over. Playing all night, high limit, hold them into Taj, where the sand turns to gold. Okay, let's go. Don't tease me. Let's play some cards. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. They're playing poker! (laughs) 
Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards, and we are joined by the managing editor of Casino City, Vin Narayanan. Do I have that right, Vin? It's Narayanan. But it's, Narayanan. You better, yeah, you do better than most. Let me do that again, then. Listeners, this is Ashley Adams, and I'm here with Vin Narayanan, who is the managing editor of Casino City. Vin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am very well, and uh, I have an article in front of me from Casino City about the DOJ, the Department of Justice, decision on intrastate online gambling. And I'd like you, if you could, since you're an expert on gambling, to explain to our listeners what this decision is, why it's significant, and how it changes things for Internet gambling, for poker players. Yes, so let's start off by explaining what intrastate gambling is. And so there are two forms of online gambling. There's intrastate online gambling and interstate online gambling. And the same is true for lending, if you look at lotteries and casino and that sort of thing. And interstate means the gambling happens between states. So if you're interstate online gambling, an online poker player in, say, Massachusetts can play against an online poker player in Connecticut, and can play an op that gets an online poker player in California. That's interstate. And that's what all the poker rooms used to be, like Party Poker or Poker Stars of Fulton. They were international, and by being international, they were also interstate. Interstate, exactly. And now what the DOJ is saying is that intrastate is perfectly legal, Uh, except for sports betting. But all other forms of intrastate online gambling is legal. And so what that means is if you're in Massachusetts, it is legal for you to play against other poker players in the state of Massachusetts. Or if you're in Connecticut, it is legal for you to play against other poker players in the state of Connecticut. But you can't play against someone in Massachusetts. Well, for, you know, that's, that's ridiculous that I can't play against anybody I want to. But what that means is, as a practical matter, it's not that poker stars will be legal now in the United States, but I'll only be able to play on tables with other people from Massachusetts. I imagine it means that it has to be a site that initiates in the state of which I am a resident and that only residents in my state can play on it? Exactly. So what's going to happen is right now there, there aren't any states in the U.S. Well, there's only one state in the U.S. that has laws on the book that legalizes online poker, and that's the state of Nevada. Last year, the state of Nevada, uh, in March, the governor signed a bill into law that says we're going to write regulations in case the federal government says it is okay to offer online poker. Well, they wrote the regulations. The regulations were adopted. The first licenses are going to be handed out in February. Uh, And and the first applications are going to go in February. The license will be handed out shortly after that. But the federal government says, yes, if you want to do interstate online poker and it is legal in your state, then you can go ahead and do it. If it's illegal in your state, then you can't do it. So it's very much up to the states to determine whether it's legal or illegal in their state. So in the state of Nevada, it is perfectly legal. Is this, so right, is this something that they already did in the District of Columbia as well? Yes, they, they've done it in the District of Columbia as well. Although what they did in the District of Columbia is really odd. They didn't pass a law in the District of Columbia. What they did there was they wrote it into the budget and said, we are going to be doing uh, online gambling in the, bu- in the budget, and it's going to generate this amount of revenue for the district. And then the budget went to Congress, and Congress approved it. And by Congress approving the budget, they de facto approved online gaming uh, in Washington, D.C. And what's happened is over the past course of the last three to four months, city council members and people living in Washington, D.C. have 
have just realized that they approved uh, uh, online poker and online gambling in the district. It's like, wait a minute. We didn't know we did this. Let's put the brakes on this. Let's slow this down and figure out how we want to do it. So even though it's approved in D.C., it isn't nearing the offering stage yet simply because the city, the people of the city and the city council had no idea what they've done. And so now they're sort of figuring out what they've done and are sort of going from there and determining, all right, is this something we really want to do? Whereas in Nevada, it was passed by the state legislature. It was done in a very open process. Uh, and, and so in that sense, Nevada is going to be ready uh, as of February to offer online poker to people living in the state of Nevada. And so far, people have applied for six or seven licenses in the state of Nevada. Only one operator has applied for the license. The rest of the people have been suppliers, people that supply the software, the technology provider, providers. And, and, the only per, and the only casino that's applied for uh, uh, a license at South Point Casino uh, in, in Nevada. And so that, that, that's where they're at right now. And it, 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 it's very interesting on that front. I mean, what's their Nevada, time? What's their timetable to actually have an, a situation where they'll be able to have people playing poker on the Internet in Nevada? Yeah, in South Point, as far as South Point goes, they want to do it as soon as they can get it. So as soon as they get the license, I would guess between six to eight months of them getting that license. Uh, they'll they'll be willing to offer it. In Nevada, you've got MGM and you've got Las Vegas Sands and you've got Caesars. Well, Caesars and MGM, they've been lobbying the federal government, uh, saying we want a federal solution to online poker. They don't want a state by state solution. They want to be able to offer their product to everyone in the country. Uh, and that way, let's just t- take the state of Connecticut. If it's only legal in the state of Connecticut, Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods are going to get the licenses down there, and the Nevada companies will be shut out. So that's not what they want. They want to be in every state in the country. And there's also economies of scale for both the companies and the players. Uh, if, if it's a national solution, players can play against everyone in the country. Where it's a state-by-state solution, then you're stuck just playing against individual pockets of people within your state. Uh, right. And then, Vin, I'm going to cut you off now because we got to take a commercial. But when we come back, I want to continue this discussion, and I want us to get into the larger implications for the eventual legalization of all Internet poker. So hold on, listeners. Hold on. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Vin Nureyanen. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration. Plus, a free extra gift so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16 at adamandeve.com. Great moments in history. 
In 1 million BC, early man discovers fire, only to have it stolen by a rival clan member. What are we going to do? It's no use, Rod. Did a masterful job of f***ing us. In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to houseofcardsradio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. Some houses are born bad. You're listening to the House of Cards. I never dreamed that any mere physical experience could be so stimulating. Welcome back, listeners. I'm continuing my conversation with Vin Narayanan, who is the managing editor of Casino City. We're talking about intrastate Internet gambling. And uh, I also want to get into the implications for full-blown Internet poker. So let me just ask you a couple of questions about Nevada, which you were talking about, Vin. You're there, right? We're we're all – okay, good. Uh, I'm right here. Okay. In Nevada – why do you think it was that the only casino that even tried to get a license to do intrastate was South Point? I realize why the big players didn't do it, because they want a national law passed. They don't want to start just picking off state by state. But why didn't any number of other potential operators sign up for this? Why do you think? Well, it's, it's a variety of reasons. First of all, the big boys want to do it interstate. Secondly, not, the big boys, not only do they want to do it interstate, They've been in other states lobbying against interstate poker. So in New Jersey, for example, where the governor vetoed legislation last year that would have brought online poker to New Jersey, Caesars was vigorously lobbying against that online poker legislation. They didn't want, uh, they, they don't want a state-by-state solution. And so Caesars and MGM, I mean, if they want to do interstate and they go to Nevada, it undermines their lobbying position in other states. As far as other operators within the state, uh, you have a resources problem. Uh, really, if you take a look at the smaller ones, uh, you, you have a significant resources problem. They're looking at it, and they're trying to figure out, how can I make money off of it? And I said, well, can I make money off of it? What's the population of Nevada? It's a few million. Uh, it, it, it's not that big. And when, when, you, when you take a look at the population of Nevada, uh, how, what could you, you say, all right, you think of 5%, maybe 3% are going to play poker online. Or you've got three percent playing poker online, uh, and then if I get involved, and you get South Point, and then if Caesars and and MGM decide to get involved, all of a sudden you're splitting up three to two percent of pretty small population over five to six properties. It makes it hard to see where a profit comes in. The other reason that you're not seeing other properties take advantage of in, in Nevada is they really don't want to take off their employees. Uh, if you're a smallish casino. Uh, and you say, yeah, we're doing online poker, you're going to have the cocktail waitresses and the dealer saying, wait a second, you're trying to keep people from coming into the casino? No, you're, you're, you're actually hurting our job. And that's not the case, but that's the argument that's going to be made. And as a result, politically, it, it doesn't make sense for some of the smaller operators to, uh, to offer it. I see. Now, isn't uh, South Point connected to a chain of... Uh, casinos, Boyd, is, it, is that Boyd Gaming, like the uh, Orleans and a few others? I don't think South Point is Boyd. No, Boyd's actually in on a different deal. Boyd is actually in on a deal with, uh, with MGM. They're part of the MGM deal. Uh, and so they, they've signed a deal with B-Win Party. Uh, and 
So yeah, it, 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 it's different. I'd have to look it up. I, 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 I know South Point is part of the chain. I don't know who the ownership group is. Okay, so let's look at the bigger picture because our listeners, what do they care about? They don't really care about whether Nevada has intrastate poker. That's not going to affect them. But they do care about the likelihood and the timetable for finally making poker legal again on the Internet so we can play on all these sites. What's your prognosis as somebody who's very familiar with the industry of what's going to happen and how it's going to happen? Yeah, I I don't anticipate any federal legislation this year. Uh, And even though there's going to be a renewed call for federal legislation, uh, it's hard to see it happening during an election year. Uh, the, the, The politics are simply difficult. Uh, it's hard to see coming up for a full vote in the House because there's nobody in the House of Representatives that wants to go on the record on voting on a gambling issue uh, during an election year. And, and and in the Senate, nothing like this is going to pass unless uh, through the regular procedure that is a full vote. So it has to be attached to a bill, much like the UIGEA was attached to the Port Security Bill. This has to be attached to a bill that's going to pass legislation. Once again, very tough to do during an election year. So I, the, the federal the federal piece of legislation is hard to see. On a state a state level, there are a couple of states that are considering it uh, that have a reasonable sh- a reasonable shot at passing something. <coughs> Excuse me. And and the two states that you sort of have to keep an eye on are Iowa and California, with New Jersey's being a close third. And New Jersey's sort of a special case, which I'll get to. But uh, Iowa had commissioned a report uh, that was released in December. That, that created a framework that the state of Iowa could talk about in terms of regulating online focus. Not a big population in Iowa, but what they're thinking about doing is they're thinking of setting up just a single network, so that way it will allow all the people within the state of Iowa to play against each other. Uh, Iowa is a state that is in the black. They don't, have any bu- they don't have any budget concerns, so they're not doing this for revenue reasons. They would be doing this because they want to regulate online poker. This is something that people in their state are doing, and they want to make sure that they're being protected from from a protection standpoint. So that's a possibility. The only thing that's going to hurt Iowa is Caesars is the big operator within their state. And if Caesars starts lobbying heavily against it, then that could kill the bill. Uh, so we'll see what happens on that front. California has been looking at and examining this issue for the past three, four years. And there the issue is you have a bunch of Indian tribes in California that want this to happen, and you have a bunch that don't. Uh, the smaller Indian tribes in California are worried that they don't have the money and the resources to compete in this, uh, but the larger tribes do, and they want to have it, and then the card rooms want to have it. And until you get a consensus between the Indian tribes and the card rooms in the state of California, nothing's going to happen there. So it will be interesting to see whether the DOJ, the fact that it's happened, the fact that Nevada has already got a licensing uh, procedure in place in Nevada, whether that's enough pressure for the state of California to do something. But once again, I, it's hard to see that happening in 2012. I think 2013 is a year that is more likely to see uh, online poker legislation be passed and online poker players returning to the table. Uh, but it, it's just hard to see it in 2012. Well, okay, let's look at the election year then for another reason as a kind of window into 2013. Do you think it's beneficial for the House, the Senate, and the presidency to be in the control of Republicans or Democrats if our interest was only Internet poker? If your interest is only Internet poker, it's more beneficial to be in the hands of Democrats. 
and, and, and simply because that removes the moral argument from the equation, and it brings off the revenue argument into it. So in that, that standpoint, yeah, uh, it, 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 it's easier. Uh, but in the end, uh, and, and also the other reason you wanted to be in the hands of Democrats is that means uh, Harry Reid is still your Senate Majority Leader. And if you have the Senate Majority Leader uh, it, it, on your side, good things can happen. You can get things done. So that standpoint, yeah, if, if, if you're a single-issue voter and online poker is an issue, you, you want it in the hands of Democrats. So Harry Reid, who's the senator from Nevada... Is on record as being in favor of undoing the UIGEA and legalizing online poker. Is that right? Or yeah, well, he's not in favor of undoing the UIGEA. He's in favor of strengthening the UIGEA and creating a poker carve out. So Reed has taken the stance that you want to know what online po- poker is a national pastime. There, everyone wants to play online poker. There's nothing wrong with playing online poker. His big backers, the big Vegas casinos, which won a lot of money into his campaign. They want online poker. So he's taken the position that online poker should be legalized throughout the U.S. and should be a federal solution. Uh, other forms of online gambling he doesn't want, but he wants online poker. Uh, and it's interesting. I think that the gambling industry is doing itself a significant disservice if it sticks with a poker-only strategy. Uh, they've, been given, they've been given the green light to offer all forms of gambling. And it they should have learned something from the UIGEA. They were they used to be against online gambling. UIGEA passed all of a sudden they're for online poker, and they're having a hard time getting it done. There's no need to needlessly restrict your gambling options if you're the gambling industry. Just say, well, let's just do online poker only now. Uh, you might as well keep everything on the table because at some point you're going to want to offer online slot machines. You're going to want to offer online blackjack and online roulette and online bingo. And why do you want to limit yourself now and then, five, six years, and I'll be faced with the same fight of trying to undo legislation that's tying your hands. Yeah, well, we had Barney Frank on, and he was all for legalizing all Internet gambling. Yeah, and, and, and Representative Frank is, I mean, he's, he's very candid about it. He, he, as, far as, he can, as far as he's concerned, if adults can do what they want to do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And there's, in his mind, there's no real distinction uh, between the different forms of gambling, so why restrict? Right. Well, one last question. We got a couple minutes left. You mentioned California. You mentioned Iowa. You mentioned D.C. and Nevada. You haven't talked about New Jersey, and I understand that they're trying to get this legislation through. What's your understanding of what's going on there? Well, what happened in New Jersey is they had initially planned on voting on the legislation this week. It was a modified version of what Christie vetoed last year. They planned on voting on either this week or next week. Uh, Lesniak has pulled that legislation back off the table. What Lesniak did was he modified the legislation. He tried to modify the legislation to suit uh, to address Chris, Governor Chris Christie's concerns. And Chris Christie's concerns were the following: one, he, he didn't want a, a creation of internet cafes all over the state, whose sole purpose was to get people to come and gamble there. So Lesniak changed the changed the bill so it would address that concern. Uh, Christie's second major concern was uh, horse racing. Uh, he didn't want the horse racing in the industry to subsidize. He subsidized this bill. Lesniak left that legislation, that part of the legislation alone, because he needs the vote, the horse racing votes to pass in the legislature. But he was open to the idea of taking that out if it was going to mean a Christie veto. Now, the final bit of the Christie objection in the veto message, that was where things get really tricky. 
under the New Jersey con- state constitution, all gambling in the state of New Jersey, except for lotteries and horses, have to take place in Atlantic City. So Lesniak wrote the bill saying the servers have to be located in Atlantic City, and it, the bet is taking place where the servers are, therefore all the gambling is happening in, in Atlantic City. Uh, Chris Kirsten called that legal fiction. Uh, and he said, he said, you want to know what? No, that, that's not the way it works. If you're sitting in your house in Parsippany or in Washington Township or in, uh, in Morristown and you're betting, you're betting in Morristown. You're not betting in Atlantic City. And as a result, you need to amend the New Jersey Constitution to do that, which means you have to go through a voter referendum. Uh, and, and so Lesniak doesn't want to go through a voter referendum. He doesn't know what's going to happen if it goes on the ballot. He wants to, so he pulled the legislation back this week because Christie still has concern about the constitutionality of the bill and is going to try and rework it to uh, meet Christie's objection. I don't know if there's a way Lesniak can, re- can rework the bill to meet, uh, satisfy Christie's uh, constitutional issue. And if he can't, then the only way it's going to happen in New Jersey if it goes to it goes on the ballot in November. Huh. Wow. Well, that's a very thorough explanation. And uh, I think we're going to leave it at that, Vin. We will reserve the right to call you back into service as things develop and as things change. You've been a wonderful guest, and we appreciate having you on. Thank you. I'm glad to be on. Thank you for having me, and please call me anytime. Okay. Take care. Listeners, we'll be back after a quick break. Hey, Jersey, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com or leave a message at our hotline at 609-474-4627. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no. We're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16 at adamandeve.com. Hey, this is Dave Weishattle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of February 13th, 2012. Well, those hoping for the expansion of gaming in Florida will have to wait a little longer. A bill that would have ushered in the largest gaming expansion in the Sunshine State was pulled due to the fact that it faced probable defeat in the Florida House Business and Consumer Affairs Subcommittee. Proponents of the bill said it could have led to 100,000 new jobs for the state. Florida rules state that a bill cannot be considered if it has not passed one committee, so the measure is dead for 2012. Pennsylvania regulators approved the plan for table games at the new Valley Forge Casino in King of Prussia. The measure allows for 50 table games with nearly half of those tables devoted to blackjack. 
In order to offer the table games, the casino had to pay a one-time fee of $7.5 million to the Gaming Control Board, and that's on top of the $5 million it had to pay to operate its 600 slot machines. And finally, have you ever been to a casino and needed to gamble immediately? New Jersey lawmakers are trying to make that easier for you. They are considering a bill that would allow mobile gaming devices in Atlantic City casinos. This would allow patrons to gamble in their rooms, by the pool, and hey, even in the bathroom. And seriously, if you're doing that, you have some real issues. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow House of Cards on Twitter at HOC Radio. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you consent to having your message played on the air. You're listening to the House of Cards. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants in, get in. Anybody wants out, get out. All right, I'll play Join us online at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Are we going to play poker? So, the poker game has begun. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And just as promised, we are really lucky to have with us a great poker player, Hoyt Corkins, generally known as being a terrific competitor as well as a true gentleman of the felt. Hoyt, are you there? Uh, hey, yeah. How you doing? I, I'm doing very well. And uh, just so that our listeners know how it is that you happen to be a guest on our show, you and I met, if you recall, just by coincidence when we were both playing in the Foxwoods World Poker Tour media event. You just were brought over to kind of grace the game of people from radio stations and television stations with a professional, and you were nice enough to uh, play with us. And I must say, I don't know if you remember, but you practiced what I would consider to be socialist poker. You won three large pots in a row from we media folks and immediately redistributed your money back to the players who lost the money to you. Do you remember this? Uh, yes, I do. That was uh, that was a fun time. And it's always fun playing with the, the media people or the celebrities or whatever. Well, it was nice to have you there. Um, for the listeners that don't know you, Hoyt, can you just tell us how you got into being a poker player? Uh, well, my father played poker, and um, he was, uh, you know, he would play when I was 10 years old, and they would have games, and I'd hang around them. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I always loved the game. I always was fascinated by the poker game. And uh, when I graduated from high school, I started playing, and I was extremely successful. Where did, uh, you, where did you play when you graduated high school? Uh, I played in Alabama, a small town named Troy. They got a, uh, got a football team there. Uh-huh. And uh, 
What they, was the what was the variety of poker that you cut your teeth on? Uh, it was mostly seven card stud, which I'm really not a big seven card stud fan. And that was really the very first uh, poker that I played was seven card stud, and then draw poker and five card stud was uh, the uh, the game in the early seventies, and that was just just a little bit before my time. Still played some seven stud, but mostly when I come into the cash game, it it had went to low ball, and uh, they were playing triple draw low ball, and then they had a variety of mixed games, uh, seven stud, high low split, and uh, uh, Omaha high low split. They played that a lot. So those were the games that you know came along in Alabama in '78 and '79. And how did you make it to your first Hold'em tournament? Uh, well, I mean, I, I started off a low ball player, so I really wasn't, you know, playing that much Hold'em. You know, I went to Vegas in uh, 1979 was the first time I went. And uh, I played uh, seven-card Rats at the Stardust. And... Uh, they had they had the biggest room in Vegas. There wasn't really that many places you could play back in you know in the late seventies. You know Las Vegas and Gardena, and uh, I went to Gardena someplace and draw low ball. Uh, and so it was on up to about I played in a cash game in the No Limit Hold'em in nineteen eighty one. Johnny Chan was in that game. Uh, Pat Callahan. I don't know. If a lot of people that might not remember Pat and uh, Seymour Leibovich played in it, Sam Petrello, Blackie Blackburn, and they beat me up pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, back then I probably lost, I don't know, nine or 10000 but, you know, it was a lot of money 30 years ago, you know, especially when you're a young kid. Hell, it's a lot of money today. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I sort of hung around. I, I was successful playing cards in Vegas, and uh, you know, had a pretty good time with it. And you know, really loved Las Vegas. You know, you could drive around town there easy. Vegas was a lot older town back then than it is now. Uh, you know, it's more about like your fifty-year-old players, and you know, now it's a little bit younger. It's like most of the people there are thirty-five year old or thirty. So the gamblers have got younger. So other, just out of curiosity, just to stop you a moment, other than the Stardust back then when you played in Las Vegas, where else were there decent-sized games? Uh, they had the big games were at the Dunes, and that's where the Bellagio is now. It wasn't near as big as the Bellagio, but it was on the corner of uh, Flamingo and Las Vegas Boulevard, you know, right there across from Caesars. Yeah. Yeah, Chip Breeze had a had a room there and uh they would uh they would play some big games in there. Uh the Silverbird had some games. It was it was on the east side of the strip. I don't even know if it's still there or not. But it, it didn't last long there at the Silverbird. It might not last but a year or two. Downtown Las Vegas at the Golden Nugget that had the the first limit hold'em game that they had in Vegas. And uh 
you know, I never really played the limit hold much back then. You know, I, I stuck with the low ball. Was low ball played with limits, or was it played pot limit or no limit? Uh, most uh, most all gambling then was uh, limit poker. And uh, the time of the year where you would have the no limits would be uh, when the World Series was in town. And uh, and uh, it was three weeks a year they'd have it. Uh, two weeks in April and a week in May. And uh, <clears throat> so they'd have a lot of no-limit hold'ems there, and they would people come from all over the world, all over the United States. <clears throat> and it was a funner time back then. You know, you could uh, you could play the cash game, you know, and be in touch with the tournament, and, you know, just wouldn't as many people in the same light. And I imagine it was more like a fraternity. A lot of you guys knew each other as opposed to today when there are so many players you don't know at all. Right, right. And we, you know, right, for sure. And so, I mean, you do get to know the players. And, you know, if you got a 200-player field, you, you get to know the players. But once it gets over 200, then, you know, it's going to be a lot unknown there. And, you know, you just don't have as good a feel for the players. You know, you're talking about Las Vegas back in the old days, the 70s and early 80s. I hear I was not around then, of course. Well, I don't know about of course, but I was not around then. Um, I hear a lot about cheating back then, dealers cheating, players cheating. Uh, can you tell us anything about cheating back in those days? Well, I mean, uh, you know, it uh, somehow, there's always been some kind of cheating in poker, you know, or any kind of gambling or any kind of what well, there's money involved, you know, if it's Wall Street or whatever. But I've I've been cheated before, and uh, you know, it was more it was more common back in the old days than it is today. Uh, I really never got in. I've got invited to play in a team. They had some teams back then where they would signal some cards or whatever, but uh, I, 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 I could make money on my own, but I just never got involved with it, and I always loved and enjoyed the humility of the losing, because <laughs> that's where you learn. Right. Now, you played back then, you played now, we got a couple minutes. How did the game, how is the game different today from how it was back then? Uh, I would say that Oh, everybody's more knowledgeable. And the novice player, the player that uh, never stood a chance back in the old days, is more knowledgeable now, and they're, so that get, makes them dangerous, and they can beat you easier. So it's, you know, it's, it's harder. It's, it's harder to beat them now. you got to get luckier to beat them now. Have you started playing any of the newer games like Badoogie or Badoosie to try to take advantage of players that don't play Texas Hold'em necessarily? Uh, no, not really. I played, I played some of those games, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. But, you know, I'm 52 years old. You know, I'm not looking to play more. I'm looking to play less. <laughs> well... Before we go, what else do you do? I know that you play tournaments. I know you travel all over the place. But other than playing poker, Hoyt, what are you doing these days? Uh, 
Well, I got. I mean, I got on financially. I got some investments. Uh, bought some uh, houses in Phoenix, and uh, you know, and I'm got some other investments where you know I'm making a little bit of money with, and stock market and some other things, and so you know, poker poker is a good game. You know, and it, it's very fun to play it, but you know, it's hard to go, go at it full time all the time. And so, you know, I like to play hard, but I like to take my breaks too. <laughs> well, I hope we meet up again sometime. I'm be in Las Vegas for the World Series. Are you planning to be there for that too? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, the World Series it's 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 the fun time of year, and uh, uh, you know, I'm. I love the World Series. They play two tournaments a day there. I wish they'd just play one, but, you know, these kids want to play, 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 and, you know, I play three or four tournaments a week. I'm tired. <laughs> I understand that. Well, Hoyt, we're just about out of time, but I, I feel like I, you're the kind of guy I could talk to for an hour. I mean, it would be fun to just sit around and chat. Uh, I hope to see you out in Las Vegas. Uh, what's the next tournament you're going to be in? Well, actually, I'm leaving tomorrow, going to the Bahamas. So I'm going to play the uh, Caribbean Adventure there. Uh, they got some huge buy-ins down there, but I'm just going to play the 10,000 main event. You staying at the Atlantis? Yes, going to stay there. Staying there a week. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can make a good run. I've had fair luck with that tournament. Uh, so... Well, I you wish know. you I wish you well, and you finished second, I guess, one time. You won like two hundred and ninety thousand, right? Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, yeah. good luck. Good luck this year, and enjoy the sun and the tournament. And I hope to see you in uh, in June or July. Okay, sounds good. All okay. right, Hoyt. Thanks for joining us. That was Hoyt Corkins, a great poker player and a true gentleman of the poker table. We'll be back right after a break. Deal at Seneca Gaming and Entertainment. Live action poker. Endless chances to win. Guaranteed prize pools. Tournaments. Daily events. A bad beat jackpot. Omaha stud and everyone's favorite Texas Hold'em. And thousands of dollars in guaranteed tournament action. Now that's a big deal. Exciting Vegas style poker. Just off exit 20 on I-86 in Salamanca, New York. Across from McDonald's. Online at SenecaPoker.com. Seneca Gaming and Entertainment. Your new destination for a better game. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash hocradio. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com.
This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Well, I guess he couldn't be any worse than Tim McCarver is at sportscasting. <laughs> in my view, as good as the Yankees were in the first half of this game, that's how as bad they've been now. Welcome back, listeners. It's Ashley Adams. This is House of Cards, and we're joined in studio by our wonderful producer, Dave Weishattle, who is standing there with a bunch of questions for mailbag. So stoke them up. What do you got? I have one from the AC kid, which I uh, assume is from New Jersey. AC. Oh, as in Atlantic Atlantic City, City, unless he's really into electronics. (laughs) Right. He writes, I'm actually riding a ridiculous heater that started in November. Everything is going right. Now, I know while variance can smile upon you, which it clearly is in my case, it can also kick you in the butt. I wanted to be mentally prepared for when things start evening out and manage my role well to avoid too big of a hit. So my question is, in terms of buy-ins, what's the biggest downswing you have ever endured and how did you recover? Could you edit these questions I, next I, I, time? I, That's I, an I, I awful wanna, long I know, I question wanna... for a simple... I mean, it's really simple. He's saying... What's the worst? I'm doing really well, and I'm going to be prepared when I'm not. Yeah, well, I guess that's and, it. And he he made it personal by asking me what I've done. And downsizing refers to going down in stakes in case you have a bad uh, series of losses and your bankroll is somewhat depleted. I played 2040 uh, for a while successfully, and then hit an awful dry spell. And uh, depleted my bankroll, which back then wasn't all that big, but it went from about 40000 down to about 20-something thousand. This is back uh, about six, seven years ago. So it, went, got, it took, oh, about a 40% hit. And I got very concerned that if it, you know, had another bad hit like that, I would practically deplete the whole thing. So I dropped down to ten twenty, and uh, and five ten. Uh, this is stud, though. This is limit stud. And built the bankroll back up and haven't looked back since. Now, for no limit, uh, I have a much more dramatic story. But it has nothing to do with my bankroll. I used to play at Foxwoods uh, a 5-5 no limit game with no cap on the buy-in. And I was beating that game uh, for, I don't know, six, seven months. And then I stopped playing No Limit and went back to stud for a while, not because I was not doing well, but just because I wanted to play some more stud. And uh, when I went back to play No Limit, they had changed the buy-in. It was a one to three, one hundred to three hundred dollar buy-in at the one-two game, and the two-five game was two hundred to five hundred, and it was a five-ten game. And I figured, well, I'll go back into two-five. And what I discovered was that. Much of the time, not all the time, but much of the time, the 2-5 game was very tough for me. Um, Very aggressive players, Uh, people that would come over the top. Anytime I would try to steal or showed aggression, they would either do a stop and go or they would call and then come out firing uh, on the flop or on the turn. And I found that it was a tougher game, and I just stopped playing it. And now I only play 1-2 at Foxwoods. I'll play 2-5 over at Mohegan or someplace else. So I don't know if this answers the guy's questions, but that I, I think that's the answer to the question, which is that I have stepped down, and one has to be prepared to do it. So how far down would you go? I mean, 
How, well, I have certain minimum you... standards that I want to have for a bankroll to play yeah. a certain game. I mean, in the lowest stakes game, it doesn't really take any bankroll. You just play with whatever you have. If you lose it, you build up, it, you build it back up, and you start again. That's one, two, no limit, and that's uh, true for me at five, ten, or ten, twenty. Stud. I didn't want to go below twenty thousand though, playing twenty forty. So I built it back up to 40000 and I've done successfully since then, so I haven't had to worry about it. But I, there are certain – I've written articles about it. I don't have all the numbers in front of me. But the big thing is that you've got to be aware of about your bankroll is it's harder to rebuild a large bankroll. So it's not a, um, a steady progression like, well, it takes 10000 for 1020 and 20000 for 2040 and 4080. You need $40,000. It's not like that. It's not linear. In fact, you want to have much, much, much bigger a bankroll for uh, as the stakes go up because you really have to protect your bankroll because once it's depleted, you got to build it back up. And for the larger stakes games, building it back up with just money that you have around or money you take from your living expenses is much harder. You know, we get a lot of questions about the different casinos you play in, and a lot of those questions deal with the rake. Yes. What is a normal rake that every player should be looking for, and what are some of the rakes they expect to pay for the 200, 400 games, 2,000, 4,000 games, and things like that? I just got a question about okay, that. Okay, rake, well, there are two ways, typically, that a house charges players. One is a rake, mm-hmm. and rake is a subtraction from the pot uh, that comes out of the winner's winnings. So, for example, at Foxwoods, which to me strikes me as about average and it's about the top of what I'm prepared to pay, they charge a maximum, a 10% of the pot they take with a maximum of $4. Now, my theory, and it's, I've looked at this for a long time and done simulations, is you can't beat a 10% rake. And so what you're looking for is a rake that is capped at a low enough number that in the typical pot that you're winning, it comes to significantly less than 10%. So, for example, if the typical pot that you win is $80 and the maximum rake is $4, the fact that it's 10% is irrelevant because the $4 cap is only 5% of the pot. And that, I find, is about what the typically good but not uh, pro-level player is able to beat. You can beat a 5% rake. Um, so if it's a 2040 game and the typical pot is 200 and the maximum rake is $4, that's a 2% rake. That's, that you can definitely beat if you're a winning player. Increasingly, though, strip uh, poker rooms, not exclusively, although some places claim that this is the case, they have a $5 maximum rake, which is much tougher to beat than $4, 20% tougher, 25% tougher. Um, There are some casinos in Las Vegas and in New Mexico and a few other places that has a maximum $3 rake. Uh, I think that's, if you can find it, great, but good luck finding it. So to me, in a home game in Boston now, there are home games, that, a house game that are raked at six dollars, seven dollars. Wow, really? Yeah, no cap, just ten percent, and it could be whatever the pot is. They just rake ten percent of that. To me, that's unbeatable. And even though you might have a winning streak, and you might leave a winner for the night, within not that long a period of time, the house is going to take so much money from the game you can't beat it. As far as casinos, which casino did you find just really sucks with regard to the rake? Which place would you never go back to just because of the rake? Um, that's funny. The largest rake I've ever paid, I would go back to because it's pretty much the only game in town, and that's the Aviation Club in Paris okay. uh, and uh, Casino Gaillon. I'm sure, I'm sure they're really uh, 
snotty about it, too. Well, I don't know if they're snotty. It's just uh, they have a very high high maximum, uh, It's but it's 4% with a maximum in the no-limit games that is, is huge. Uh, it could be $40, something like that. Now, the truth is it's only 4%, so maybe it's beatable. But I can't think of an American casino that I would absolutely X out. I mean, is it pretty standardized is, just because of marketing? No, it, well, some places it's five, some places it's four, some places it's three. Um, oh, I know. I won't play in the tiny cash games up in New Hampshire as much as I love those casinos for their <laughs> tournaments because they rake, some of those places rake six and seven dollar maximums. So I won't play in the two dollar, four dollar limit game. Um, you can't win at that. I mean, no, I don't think you can over time. Although, they, I mean, if you keep having new bad players coming into the game, I suppose you might be able to. But um, I won't play in the cash games, but I will play in the tournaments. So I would just tell players that if they see a five dollar rake, plus if there's a bad beat, stay away, find another place. If there's no other place, then maybe you got to suck it up. But I would not play with a five dollar or more cap. Speaking of traveling, how are you doing with your? Uh the quest to play in 50 states. I played in Delaware, so okay. now I'm up to 35 well, They're going to be legal pretty soon. So, it is, so. Well, it is legal. It is legal, but it's, it's legal in a private club, but they're going to make him public casinos soon. That's right, in June and uh, in Pennsylvania, too. But I played in a room in Delaware, a uh, wonderful room in Wilmington, and it was a um, very good game. I think they had a maximum $4 rake. Um, and the games were very juicy. The, the guy that ran the club was very, very friendly. Um, the players were very nice, unlike uh, the room that I played in in West Virginia, in, in, uh, not in Wheeling, but up uh, north of there. They were, uh, they were very, in Chester, the room in Chester, where they really were kind of uh, hostile for an really? outside player. Here, they were welcoming. They enjoyed my questions. <laughs> now, you know, the, the two other rooms, the one in Wheeling and the one in Nitro, they were very welcoming. But uh, the one room up in Chester, the, uh, the people at my table, at least, seemed to be angry that I was sitting down. Why they were angry, I don't know. I'm a friendly guy, but go figure. But how, this, how, but, how about the skill level in Delaware? I know they're, uh, I, I hate to call them it's a, good a, question. New, a new area in poker. It's a good question. Um, I'd say that there were one or two very good players, one or two, and the rest that I played with, and I played in the lower state game, I played in the 1-2 game, there was a 2-5 game, uh, they were there to have fun more than to win, and they were relatively passive and timid, which is a good combination. But, you know, one or two very good players who were feeding off of the other players, and the other players were having fun. It was a low-stakes game. They were not there to... I mean, they would have preferred to win than to lose, like all of us, but they were not, I would not call them serious, aggressive players. I think they would have, um, the two five players at Foxwoods would chew them up. Hmm. Well, our next question comes from Bob, speaking of playing poker at the tables. What odd rituals do you have to do before heading out to the poker room? Is there anything or anyone that you see at a table that you would prefer not to sit down next to? Well, that's interesting. The the odd ritual and the not sit down next to uh, implies that there's some connection between superstition, which is what an odd ritual would be, mm-hmm. and who I don't sit next to. Um, <laughs> a couple of things about odd rituals. I, I tend not to really have them. I I like to go down, and maybe this other people would think is odd, and I don't like to just sit down as soon as I get there. I'll put my name on the list. If there's an open seat, fine, I'll go lock up the open seat. But what I do is, before I play my first hand, I tend to walk around the room. Uh, I don't make it obvious what I'm doing. I don't. But what I'm doing is I'm scoping out the games. I'm seeing where the players that I know are good are seated, if I know them. And I'm usually comparing the 20-40 games 
to the 1020 stud games, 2040 stud, 1020 stud, and then the one two games. If I can't, if I don't scope out a good 2040 or at least a 1020 game in stud, then I'm going to move over to a one two game as quickly as I can. On the other hand, if I see a couple of the players that I consider to be bad players or a bunch of players whom I don't recognize, uh, I may very well take a seat in the 2040 stud or the 1020 stud game. Uh, as far as players I don't sit next to, I'm happy to sit next to anybody except for three guys that I know who stink. I mean, phys- they just they smell really bad. Reek? Okay. They reek. And um, when I see them, and it's not all that common, uh, I will avoid the seat next to them. But the other players, if I see a couple... You know, how do you keep from telling them? I mean, you're, kind, you're the kind of guy... How do I tell, keep from telling them? I mean, you're the kind of guy who tells everyone everything. Not that. You're, you're, no, no. no really? I draw the line. I don't, <laughs> I don't talk about body odor uh, to other players. And uh, I don't tell women to cover up cleavage, even if it exposes a lot. <laughs> I, I draw the line. You're, you're good places. people. <laughs> um, no, but there are a couple or three players that I just don't sit. Now, the really good players I try not to have sitting on my left, because from my experience, the best players there are aggressive and play quite a few hands, and I would like to know what they're doing before I enter the pot. So I do that. I try to sit to their left rather than to their right. But other than that, I don't I mean... Uh, I don't. Maybe I tend to dress in black. I like to wear black in the casino for some reason. Uh, I don't always do it. It's not like oh, I have to go back and change my shirt. But if I'm getting dressed at home, I might wear a black shirt and black pants just because I kind of like wearing those clothes in the casino. And maybe it's Johnny Cash. Maybe it's <laughs> Yule Brenner. Maybe it's just uh, I'm colorblind and I don't want to be <laughs> yeah, obviously looking like I don't know what the hell I'm go, doing. Go in wearing purple and green. And- right. Right. But uh, you don't have a lucky shirt or anything like no, that? No, I don't. No lucky hat? Or... No lucky hat. I mean, I do have a wonderful Doyle Brunson hat that he gave me that I wear sometimes. But uh, if I can't find that one, I'll grab any one. So uh, that's pretty much it. Anything else that you want to ask me today? Is that at the end of our we're, segment? We're getting the cuts Brother Doug is saying uh, stop. Uh, stop talking. So I, I have a hard time. But that ends our segment of Mailbag. And please come back next week. In the meantime, good night and good luck. Podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.